Good evening, everyone. My name is John. It's great to have you here. I want to extend a really warm welcome to you. Hope it's made you feel a little bit more Christmassy tonight. Because I know everyone obviously has different feelings about Christmas. So some of you, you're loving that it's December. You're loving that um, it's finally the time where you can get out your Christmas jumpers. I've seen some pretty epic Christmas jumpers here tonight, and you're feeling well up for December. Some of you are just like, "How is it this time already? Like, it only feels like yesterday. I was sunbathing, and we had that amazing summer. And I'm with you on that when I get it." And I think people have such different feelings when it comes to Christmas. Have you ever chatted to someone about their traditions on a Christmas morning? You ever spoken to them, you get these people who are just really militant about how you're supposed to do the order of things on Christmas Day. Do you know what I mean? So like people, you're chatting to them, and they're like, well, the first thing that happens in our house is we wake up, and then there's stockings at the end of the bed, and mum and dad have put knickknacks in there, and then an orange at the bottom, and we can't get out of our rooms before. I'm like, you're 24. How is this still a thing that your parents are doing for you? And people are like, no, no, that's, that's how Christmas has to happen. And then you get into these discussions, the discussion we have every year, all the time, we used to bet, when is too early to be playing Christmas music? Like, when, when is the rule on this? And I was chatting to someone a few weeks ago who we were talking about beer and carols, and I was like, oh, like, it'll be a good chance for you to start feeling Christmassy. And they were like, ah, oh, I've already been playing Christmas music since July. And I've got to be careful because they are here tonight and we don't know each other that well, but I'm sorry, that's not okay. That is really, that's not all right. For me, December the 1st, after that, it's okay. We've just sneaked in with beer and cows here, but anything before December, no. Not okay, not okay. And then there's two types of people when it comes to Christmas tree decorations. There's two types of people. There's the, it has to be perfect, and then there's the, chuck it on. So some of you here, I know what it's like. I saw people doing this Christmas tree the other day. The ruler's coming out. The protractor's coming out. It's got to be exactly symmetrical. And there's certain things that are not allowed on there. No color clashing. And then there's some of you where it's just like, get it on there as quick as possible. So two types of people. I want to hear a cheer from you. If you're the, if you're the perfect Christmas tree sort of person, give me a bit of a cheer. Oh, no. There's a lot of you here. All right, and if you're a bit of a chuck it on person, give me a cheer. <laughs> That's definitely like the rowdier cheer, isn't it? Like, ah, chuck it on, yeah. That's definitely my family. Literally, if you saw our Christmas tree, it looks like someone's taken the decorations box, got on a stool, dumped it on the top of the tree, and just been like, leave it where it lands. Like, let's, that's it for this year. Now, if you knew my family, if you've met them before, you'll know that my family's a little bit quirky. We're a little bit odd. So we've got some, yeah, things about us that you don't see maybe in every family. So here's a picture of me, my brother, and my mum and dad from the best era there's ever been, the 90s, living it up, rocking it. There's me on the right, my brother on the left. Um, I don't know what my mum was thinking with that hair, but obviously the 90s, that was, uh, and my dad was hipster before his hipster. Everyone thought he was, you know, out of fashion, but turns out back in the 90s, check shirts and beards were still in, so there we go. Now, my parents are a little bit weird. If you saw them standing up, you would notice that my mum is six foot tall, and my dad is five foot six, so a little bit odd to look at together. My dad is American. And my mum is English from Somerset. Anyone from Somerset here? Well, one of us. We're probably related. You got, you got, you got web toes as well, yeah? Yeah, web toes represent Somerset. So mum's from Somerset. 
My mum, contrary to what you'd expect of their nationalities, my mum is the really loud one, and my, mom, and my dad is the really quiet one. Now, an interesting mix. They're currently uh, a few hundred thousand, a few thousand, I don't know, miles away in Moldova in Eastern Europe, where they volunteer for a charity out there. So they'd love to be here tonight, um, but it makes it easier them not being. I can make fun of them a little bit more. Now, my mum, one of the things that she does, which I find particularly also interesting, is that even though I'm now in my 30s, she'll still treat me like a kid. Can anyone relate to that? So, like, I don't see him that often because obviously I live a long way away, but we'll see each other once or twice a year. Like, I'll see him in a few weeks' time this Christmas. Prayers appreciated. And I know what will happen. This always happens. My mum will say to me things like, Johnny, are you eating enough? Like, every time she'll say things like, You've got bags under your eyes. Are you getting enough sleep? What time did you get in last night? What, what, were, you, what were you doing last night? And I just have these moments, I don't know if you ever have them, where I just want to say, Mum, you know I grew up right. But in my mum's eyes, I'll always be a little baby boy. Now, with my mum, it's kind of sweet and kind of annoying. But I think what is kind of interesting this Christmas time it's not just how our parents can treat us like little kids, but how often we can do the exact same thing to Jesus, to Jesus. Now, we seem to have developed over the centuries this fascination with sweet little baby Jesus. We love it. Cute little baby Jesus, all sweet and innocent in his swaddling cloths, whatever they are. And there's this kind of fascination. You see it in, in church uh, portraits and in, in, in galleries, these pictures of little Jesus with this glow halo around his head. And it's almost like if Jesus was here, he would say, you know I grew up, right? And not only do we see him as, as a baby, we have this thing where we see Jesus as some mythical character, made up character. So when you're at school growing up, you have the different plays. You might have Jack in the Beanstalk or Romeo and Juliet. And then at Christmas, it's the nativity. And so the Christmas story or Jesus just becomes another made-up story with more mythical characters. And we can lose sight of the fact that Jesus was actually a real-life human being like you and me. Now, I studied history at university, and I can tell you that no serious historian would dispute that Jesus lived. It's not, it's not a serious discussion. We know that he lived. We know that Jesus was a real human being like you and I. And the question is, what was he like? Because he didn't just live as some baby continually in a manger, but he grew up. He became a man who laughed and who cried, who, like you and I, felt rejection, that new people were gossiping about him, that got excited by stuff, who got disappointed by things, who enjoyed a glass of wine. It was like you and I. And because of the way his life story has been retold, I think many of us end up having a warped picture of what Jesus actually looked like. And that's why this Christmas and tonight, it's worth us taking some time to explore who Jesus really is. Because the truth is, perhaps for you, you grew up in boring school assemblies or being forced to go to church services or you met some obnoxious and annoying Christian who's given you an idea about Jesus that tonight should be put right. So here's a few things that you may or may not know about Jesus. 
First one's this. Jesus didn't get on too well with religious people. The thing I found really interesting in inviting people to come to Beer and Carols is the number of people who said things along the lines of, nah, I can't really come because I'm not religious. I'm not religious. A friend of mine invited someone, um, and her response was, well, I'd like to come, but I feel like if I came into a church building, God would have to send down fire and brimstone onto me. There's this notion of if you want to be in church, if you want to be around Jesus, then you better be a perfect person. But the interesting thing you'll learn about Jesus if you ever look into his life is just how much he often stayed away from hanging out with those who thought they were better than others, the religious people who thought they were good people. In fact, he actually used his harshest words for those who would say, you know, yeah, I've got it all together. I'm sorted. I'm good. One time he rebuked them and said, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. He said, I didn't come to earth to just pat good people on the back. I came to earth to reach out to those who know that they're broken, who know that they're hurting, who know that they're sinful and know that they need help. That's who Jesus came for. And as a result, he ended up hanging out with the people on the fringes, the outcasts and the misfits and the rebels, the people who've been rejected by society. And as a result, he gained a reputation of being a friend of drunkards and thieves and prostitutes. That was the reputation that Jesus got. Now, did he just hang out with them and say, hey, keep doing what you're doing? No, no judgment here. No, what he did is he showed love to them. He showed warmth to them. And then at the right time, he said, look, because I care about you, it's clear that these patterns of behavior are not helping you. They're hurting you and hurting people around you. And being in the presence of Jesus changed people. They didn't want to just keep living the same way because they'd seen another way, another kind of love than they'd ever experienced before. So Jesus, number one, didn't get on too well with religious people. Secondly, Jesus cares about individuals. Have you ever noticed how in paintings of adult Jesus, he always seems to be wearing this spotless white robe? Have you ever seen that? He's, kind of, he's walking around these like dirty, dusty streets of Bethlehem in Nazareth, and he's just in this glowing gown. It's like Jesus is some kind of uh, holy spiritual laundry miracle maker. It's like, how has this happened? You can picture the story, Jesus kind of, there, uh, I don't know, a, a wedding or something, and he knocks into Jesus, and he's like, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry, I spilt my wine onto your robe. And Jesus is like, do not fear, Peter. The wine stain is now a water stain. It's coming, cool, that's great, you'll get there. By the end of the talk, you'll get it. And the problem with such glowing images of Jesus is we can start to see him almost as some bearded ghost who just floated around and was kind of aloof from people. But again, when you read about Jesus' actual life, he got his hands dirty. He got stuck into people's messy situations. He wasn't like some distant celebrity who'd kind of be on the stage of his security squad keeping people back and then as soon as things were done, he would jet off in his private jet and never to be seen again. No, he took time out to be with individuals. 
And if you read the Bible, if you want to read some of the stories of Jesus' life, you'll be amazed at some of the amazing things that he does. He just does this time and time again. So, for example, there's one time where Jesus, he gets away from the disciples in the crowds, and he intentionally goes to a well during the middle of the day. And you're like, well, what's the big deal about that? Back, back then in that culture, no one would go to a well during the middle of the day because it's scorching hot. If you've ever been to a, a really, really hot climate, people don't work in the middle of the day, they stop because it's just not possible. So during that time, people go in the morning or late at night when it was cool. The only people who go to the well during the middle of the day were those who wanted to intentionally avoid people for fear of being shamed and shunned. So that's why Jesus picks that moment. He goes to the well and sure enough, there's a lady sat there drawing water. Now this lady is full of shame. She's been married five times. Now in our culture, that's hard to kind of, we can kind of imagine what thoughts that would conjure up. But in their culture, it's a whole nother level. And not only has she been married five times, but her current man wasn't even her husband. Again, shame upon shame in that culture. Now what does Jesus do when he goes up to her at the well? Does he pull out his handy scroll with the Ten Commandments and say, have you not read the law? No. He says to her, there's a thirst inside you that you have been trying to quench your whole life. And I am the one who is the water of life who can fulfill those deepest desires that you've never been able to fulfill. And not only that, he then says, I want to use you. I'm not, I, wanna, I want you to be part of my team. I want you to be part of this squad. And I want you to go and tell your village all about me. So not only does he fulfill her and give her hope, he gives her a, a purpose and a plan for her life. And then another time, Jesus is walking along in the crowds and this short guy up on a tree shouts out at him, a guy called Zacchaeus. Now Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And he might be like, all right, fair enough, he's good at accountancy. No, in their culture, tax collectors were the most despised of people. See, they'd sided with the Roman invaders who were despised. They'd been a traitor to their own people to side with the Romans. And not only that, they would rob from their own people, take it for their own pocket, and there's nothing you can do about it. So as this tax collector calls out to Jesus, hey, Jesus, could you come to dinner at my house? The people are waiting for it. Like, here we go. Finally, Jesus is going to lay into this dude. And what does Jesus say? Yeah, yeah, what, what time? I'm coming. What time can I come? To the absolute disgust of everyone watching. And then he goes to this guy's house. They have dinner together. And then Zacchaeus is just undone by the love of Jesus. And he says, like, I got, how can I keep living this way when I've seen such love? And then he repays back everything he's stolen and then some. Even in Jesus' dying moments, when you think, all right, just focus on yourself, Jesus. This is obviously a hard time for you. No, no, no. Even in his dying moments as he's hung there on the cross, there's two criminals either side of him, one mocking him, and then one who says to him, Jesus, remember me. Forgive me. What does Jesus say? Really? After your whole life, you think on your deathbed, you can just get pardoned. No, he says, truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. He's saying, you don't deserve forgiveness, but I'm going to give you a gift you don't deserve. In my grace, I forgive you, and you can know eternity in heaven, in paradise with me.
See, Jesus' mission wasn't to start some powerful global religion. His, his dream wasn't that he'd have cathedrals and monuments built in his name. No, in his heart, in his central to his plan of coming to earth, was to have relationship with you and with me. He came that individuals would know true freedom. One that money can't buy. One that fame can never achieve. One that sex in relationships could never fulfill. He came to bring a freedom from shame and from sin and from despair. He came to give you a purpose, a reason to live. He came to give you a confidence and a peace in yourself, not just from keep telling yourself positive things that eventually will work. No, no, he, he came to say the person who made you, the one who knows you, who knows even the heads on your head is so crazy in love with you and wants to know you and for you to know him. That was Jesus' mission. He cares about individuals. And thirdly, Jesus said that he is the only way. Over the past 2,000 years, a lot of things have been said about Jesus. A lot of claims have been made. And I think one of the most helpful things to do, just trying to decipher all these different claims, is to look at what did Jesus actually say about himself. So here's one of the most important things that he said. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. What Jesus is saying is, there is a way to know God a way to be forgiven, a way to have your relationship with God and with this world restored. Not just now, but for eternity. But he said, there's only one way, and that's through me. Now, a lot of people make big claims, big claims about religion. You have people who say, well, there's only this one religion that's right. And people who say, no, I, I'm saying that all religions are right. And other people who say, no, no religions are right. We all make these big claims. All of us do. But the amazing thing about Jesus is that he backed up his claims. So when he said things like, I have come to conquer death, we can be confident in that. How? Because he didn't just say it, he showed it. So when he died, three days later, he did what no one of us could do and rose from the dead, showing that he had conquered sin, shame and death once and for all. Now, you can't go visit Jesus' body in some special crematorium or cemetery or anything like that because there is no body, because he's risen. He's risen and he's ascended back to heaven and he has sent his presence, his power, his Holy Spirit, and you can know him, you can experience him for yourself today. And I've experienced Jesus so many times in my life. I could tell you story after story after story. I'll tell you one. Several years ago, I was at a church event. And a guy came up to me who um, was in some pain and asked him what was going on. And he said he had some pain in his wrist. And I said, okay, how did that happen? He said, well, 30 years ago, I was walking, I'm into fishing, I was walking down the dock to my boat. And I slipped awkwardly and landed on my wrist badly. And the doctors don't know why, but I just have constant pain in it. There's nothing they can do. And it's been that way every day, nonstop, for 30 years. And he said to me, would you pray for it? Now, I was at a time in my life where I was really wrestling with, do I believe in God or not? Like, there's just so many questions I've got, so many things that don't make sense. And I was just like, 
yeah, yeah, I guess. I wasn't like filled with faith. I wasn't like, yeah, this is going to happen. I was like, well, whatever, let's give it a go. Like, if God's real, let's see what he might do. So I prayed for this guy, not really expecting much. And then he told me that his wrist went icy cold. And as soon as that cold sensation left, the pain had completely gone. And I was freaking out. I was like, he's like, this is the first time in 30 years I have not felt pain in my wrist. It was mad. It was a mad one. Now, have I seen every person I've prayed for since get healed? No, no. But Jesus never promised to take away every storm of life. What he did promise is that he'd be with us in the storms. His peace and his presence would be with us. And I've seen that firsthand. I've known the the presence of God in some of the hardest times. And not only does he promise a peace and his presence during the storms, he does promise that a day is coming when every storm will cease. When this life ends and the next begin, his promise is that those whose trust is in him will not experience any more sadness or tears or disappointment or pain in their wrists or or frustrations or questions they'll just be perfect joy perfect peace without cease without getting bored forever and ever and ever and the last five years of my my life have, have genuinely been the hardest I'm not just saying that for dramatic effect it's been rough I've, I've lost a job that I loved. I um, have had two of my closest friends who are in their 20s die. I've had health problems. I've experienced rejection and frustrations. It's been rough. But through every step of the way, I've known the peace of God. I've known that Jesus has never left me. He's never rejected me. That he's always been by my side. Nothing's changed in 2,000 years. He still cares about individuals. He so cares about me and he so cares about you. This is an invitation from Jesus to you tonight. It's a moment. Do you remember the part? First of all, that nativity was awesome. That was the first time I've seen it. You guys are so good. I was loving it. That was amazing. Now, in the nativity, in the the story of the shepherds, I don't know if you remember, in between all the drama and stuff, what happened. Basically, there's just some dude, some shepherds, on a hillside looking after some sheep. I'm pretty sure there wasn't any saxophones in the original telling of it, but who knows? Maybe one of them loved a bit of sax. But there's some shepherds sitting on the hillside, loving life. Well, probably not, actually. They're probably hating life. If it's a pretty standard day, I can't imagine being a shepherd is the best sort of experience, but correct me if I'm wrong. Somerset guy, you're a shepherd? Okay, yeah, nor me. We've, we've got three of that life. They're on a hillside, they're tending their flocks, when all of a sudden these angels appear. And it's unexpected. It's probably a little bit inconvenient for what they're trying to do. But a moment happens. And they have a choice. Are they going to respond and listen and do something or just get on with life like nothing happened? And a similar moment A similar choice is here for you tonight. There's an invitation from Jesus to you. Now, you might have thought 2nd of December 2018 was just going to be a normal day. Yeah, a little sing-song at the carols and a bit of fun. But it might be that tonight, whilst you've 
been here, singing the carols, experienced just the warmth of the room, and maybe even just hearing the message of Jesus, something inside you has started to stir that you're like, you know, I think there could be something more. And you weren't planning for this to happen. You thought you'd just come in for a quick drink, a few carols. Maybe you're just here because your friend was pestering you, please come, please come, please come, and you just did it to make them shut up. But maybe God had other plans for you tonight. And I really do believe there's some people here tonight, there's something stirring in your heart, and there's an invitation in that moment, as you experience that, from Jesus. And like with any invitation, you've got three options. You can ignore it, you can say no, or you can say yes. So you can ignore it. You can say, look, I've weighed it up, I've looked into all this stuff, I've spent the time, I'm not interested. Cool. Or you can say, yeah, I feel like there's enough here that I want to explore more of who Jesus is. And if that's you, there's some practical steps you can take. Firstly, why don't you just read a bit about Jesus yourself? You might be thinking, this guy on the stage is just making up a load of rubbish about Jesus. Yeah, cool. Question. I would, download, I would encourage you, download the Bible app tonight, read the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, and just see what you think about Jesus. Secondly, another thing you can do is chat to someone. If you came with someone, maybe they come to this church, they're the ones probably pestering you to come tonight. Chat with them. Be like, okay, I normally try and avoid it when we're at work or at family stuff, but just tell me again, why do you believe all this? Or, you know, actually, some of what he said, I, I, can, I can understand that. Could you just maybe explain it a bit more? Thirdly, you could just come to church. Come next week. Hopefully tonight we've shown that it's a pretty uh, easy place to turn up. There's nothing you're forced to do. It's not heavy. It's a pretty enjoyable vibe. We're going to be meeting next Sunday night, 6 o'clock. We're going through the book of Mark. So we're exploring Jesus' life. You can come next week, check it out. Or you could come the Sunday after. We're having a traditional carol service. Come on that week, sing a few more carols, see what you think. Fourthly, you could pray. Now, if you noticed in the video of Catherine in her story, how she talked about that moment on the side of the train tracks where she prayed, God, if you're real, would I just know in my heart? Would you help me to experience something of you? Maybe tonight, just as you're lying in bed, all the, the kind of festivities have passed, just saying, God, I want to know you more. See what might happen. Last year, someone was walking up Station Road past the building as Beer and Carols was happening. And they, they heard all the, the music coming through the doors. And they thought, you know, I might as well go check out what's happening. So I walked up the steps, come through the doors, stood at the back, stayed for the whole service. And during the service, they felt something stirring in their hearts. They're like, I, I wasn't expecting this, but I, I feel like there's something more. And as the service finished, they came up to me and said, hey, could, could you just chat for a bit? And in that moment, they explained what was happening. And they asked me to pray. And then we prayed together. And in that moment, this guy's open heart and open mind was met by the open arms of Jesus. Completely unexpected. Not on his agenda. You know where he was off to? He was on his way to KFC. He was on his way to get some fried chicken for dinner. Now, some of you are probably thinking, he missed out that night. 
but he never did go to KFC. He was the last person to leave this building with me. And just the difference in his face of knowing that there's something more to life. There's someone who loves him, that this life isn't just meaningless or all about me, that I'm living for someone bigger, something greater. Just the difference that made in the matter of a few hours was incredible. The best decision that I ever made was saying yes to Jesus. It's made all the difference. And you have that invitation to do so tonight too. No matter what your story, whatever your circumstances, Jesus knows your name, he cares about you, and he's waiting with open arms. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your amazing grace that you promise that no one, no one is too far from your love. No one has messed up too much or run too far or done too many bad things that you can't forgive them and give them freedom from shame and guilt and instead give them a joy and a peace and a purpose. And God, I ask that for every person in this room who right now who, who's thinking, I just, yeah, I feel something. I feel something in my heart that I, I could ignore or maybe I could do something about. I just ask that you would give him the courage to take a next step, to not let the 2nd of December 2018 to just be like any day, but to be the start of an amazing journey of knowing you. God, I thank you for how you've made such a difference in my life and I pray for everyone here that God if their mind is open their heart is willing that you would draw close to them tonight and they would know you in Jesus name Amen